I don't know about the other pastors, but like when you're preaching, you have all these dreams and nightmares and thoughts, you know, of like coming up here and not having a shirt on and preaching to people. <laughs> it's constant. It's all the time. There's something, you know, and uh, you just deal with it. But, you know, you have to keep telling yourself this. You know what? You're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say things like, you know, the cussing fig tree. We still remember that one, right? That one came out of my mouth. It's the cursed fig tree. It's not the cussing fig tree. <laughs> but you have to just keep assuring yourself. You know what? I'm amongst friends. My friends are out here. Thanks for being my friend. All right. Amen. Well, let's begin. John chapter 15, verse 12. We're walking through. The chapter, well, you know, just uh, just going over this of what we have learned just just amazes me. The depths of God's word. We're learning about love and understanding what it means to be a friend of Jesus. One thing that is so beautiful about these verses here in chapter fifteen is this: Jesus is just not talking to his disciples over two thousand years ago, but he's also talking to you. Everyone, thank you. Really spoke to me, but everyone. He's speaking to all of us. Just as he is, was equipping the disciples to go on the Great Commission back then, he is quick, equipping and training us to go on the Great Commission today. Just as he taught the disciples all that the Father had taught him, we are taught the same through the Word. And we know more. Here, you want to puff yourself up? We know more than the disciples knew during their training. You see, we know the rest of the story. They didn't. They didn't know it. When we read chapter 15, we do it through the eyes of the cross, meaning we know what Jesus did. The disciples did not have a clue what Jesus was going to do. So the word should impact us in such a way, in, in a way that, did not, that it did not impact the disciples. You've heard me say this before. A great way to read the Bible is backwards. If I know how it ends, the rest of the story makes sense to me, and I'm not guessing. So when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend, we have a full understanding, the best of our ability, of what he meant. So when we look at what Jesus did, when he says, when he says, when he said those words, it should shake us to the core, because we know what he did. He laid down his life for us so that we may have life. And there is no greater love. Do we think about this often as we should? Probably not. You know, but, but it sure would help us in our walk if we thought about it more. To be sure, it would help us to love one another if we thought about how much Jesus loved us on a regular basis. Amen. So let's begin with verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the, ask the Father in my name, you may he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. 
You know, it's astonishing to hear that Jesus calls anyone his friend. You think of the holy, holy, holy God going, hey, you're my friend. Rock my world. But the truth of the matter is, guilty sinners, that is everyone, cannot find a better or truer friend than in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Son whom he has sent. Once you become a friend of Jesus, you are a friend for eternity. Sorry about that, guys. Here on earth, friends come and go, right? Think back to high school, some of you older folks. Think back to high school and your friends that you had back then, way back then. We have all said or heard heard this statement, right? We're going to be best friends forever. (laughs) Right? We all thought that our friends in high school would be our friends forever, but it usually doesn't work out that way, except for like Ryan and Katie and Wanda and Clint, who are high school sweethearts. Everybody say, aw. Isn't that special? Reality is friends come and go, right? They come and go. Kids, young adults here, don't be discouraged. I'm missing a few here. Don't be discouraged when your friends change. It's okay. How many friends you have is not important. What is important is, are you a friend of Jesus? Would Jesus call you his friend? Can you pick up the Bible and say, hey, listen to this right here. And you read them verse 14. You are my friend. My friends, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Can you read that to someone and then say, look, man, Jesus is talking about me right here. He's talking about me. I'm in the scriptures. I am a friend of Jesus. Kids work on being a friend of Jesus and whoever God wants you to be friends with will work out. Get this down first. Think about this. If you are a friend of Jesus, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never tempt you or dare you to do something that will get you in trouble or hurt, like your earthly friends will do. He will never lead you down the wrong path. He will always have your best interests in mind. He will always love you. And if you have any doubt of how much, he loved you so much that he laid down his life for you. So we cannot find a better or truer friend than in God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit whom was sent to be our helper. So we should cherish that relationship, nurture that relationship, and honor that relationship. Because when all our earthly friends are gone, Jesus is the one who will still be there. Amen? Kids, when you feel lonely and think you don't have any friends, don't be discouraged. Jesus is there. Don't let this world get you down. You stay high on the mountain with your friend, Jesus. Now, I mentioned last week that that we did not become his friend or get access to this info because we are wiser or better than others or that we have made right choices. That's not true. We are all who we are in Christ because Christ chose us. He chose us to be his friend. No one wakes up one day and goes, you know what? I think today. I'm going to be a friend of Jesus. Today is going to be the day that I make Jesus my friend. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. Whoever becomes a friend of Jesus is a friend because he chose them. 
The word chose means to set apart. Now, some will think election here, and I'm going to talk about election in a minute. But first, I want to talk about the reason that friends, that Jesus' friends are chosen. And that's the real point of this text. In verse 16, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now, in this context, we are all set apart for a particular ministry. And what is that ministry? And what is the reason that we are set apart? To go and bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Bear fruit that will abide. So we have to, we have to ask ourselves, what, 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 is, what fruit abides? You know, is it, is it the fruit of the Spirit that in, in me? Does that abide forever? No. My patience comes and goes. Not really. I'm a very patient man. <laughs> So we have to ask ourselves, what, what is the fruit that abides or the fruit that remains? The only fruit that we bear that remains is this, new converts. New converts. That is the fruit that remains. What is Jesus equipping everyone to do? We are equipped to take the gospel to all the nations. This is how we bear fruit that remains. Take the gospel to all the nations. Now, we can see how God's plans come together because as a friend, we all have been informed of his motives and his purpose and his plans. Jesus said, you are my friend and have made known to you what God the Father has planned. In other words, watch this. We have been so blessed with revelation and understanding of God that it goes without saying that we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others may come to saving faith in him the same saving faith in him that we have. It, it shouldn't have to be, we shouldn't have to be told. That's the reason we're all chosen though. The reason is that we are set apart. And that's the main point of this text. The main point is not, as some have said, that God, God has chosen anyone or that God chooses who he wants to or the doctrine of election is not the main point of this text. You know, a lot of times we get distracted chasing rabbits, which is not bad. It's not a bad thing. We're still studying the word when we chase these rabbits, right? But like me, me and Tom were talking the, the, uh, last week. And we were talking about, you know, sometimes we chase these rabbits and we miss the main point. We all like to go down those paths that, that just amaze us as we see the depths of God's word. It's really a true blessing. It's good stuff. But we can get so caught up in that stuff that we miss or we don't do the main thing that God has called us to do. It's kind of like this. Someone may say, you know, I've spent six months studying the doctrine of election. I have read 22 books on the elect. And someone may ask them, great, so have you loved your neighbor? Well, I haven't had time to do that. I've been so deep in this rabbit hole over here, I forgot I had a neighbor. I didn't have time to love. You missed the point. And the point I'm making is there is balance in all areas of our Christian walk. And if we don't keep the main thing, the main thing, it all gets out of balance. You see, you ever seen a tire that's out of balance on the car? You know, that thing's shaking. It's all over the place. It's hard to hold a steering wheel. You know, it's the car. And, you know, it's hard to keep the car on the road when it's that out of balance. An out-of-balance tire puts everyone in danger and it, cause, and it could cause a major wreck. 
We don't want our walk with Christ to be like that. We won't be like that. We don't want our witness to the world to be like that, bouncing from one thing to the next out of control. We don't want to be a wreck just waiting to happen. Amen. Keep the main thing the main thing. And keeping it all in balance is key. So besides Christ, what is the main point in this text? Love and bear fruit. Love and bear fruit that remains. If we miss that point because we're seeking who the elect is and what free will is, then we've gained nothing. We've gained nothing. Paul makes a good point about this in 1 Corinthians. And make note, love has everything to do with it. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, he says. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing wrong with chasing rabbits. Just make sure we're doing what God has set us apart to do first. And that is to love and bear fruit, keeping it all in balance. Okay, now that we know what the main point is, and we are doing that, we are doing what God has chosen us to do. That's love and bear fruit. Let's look at election and free will, because I know everybody loves that. First point I want to make is, here's something that we need to make sure we do not do. Okay, do not do this. Many people have gone down the elect trail, and they end up on a dead-end road, meaning they conclude that there is no need to tell anyone about the gospel because God is going to choose or save whoever he wants to. God has his elect. He is going to do what God wants to do, and it doesn't matter what we do. These people have been called the frozen chosen. <laughs> we don't want to become the frozen chosen or the chosen frozen. We don't want that, right? That's not who we are. Some facts here. Is God sovereign? Yes. Is God in control of all? Yes. Is it God that does the saving? Yes. Does God do what God wants to do? Yes, he's God, okay? We don't tell him what to do. Do we know everything there is to know about God? No, we sure don't. If we knew everything about God there is to know, then we would be God. We're not God. You can wrestle with the elect and free will all you want, but you have to know this truth. The text we have before us today that gives us the imagery of the vine and the branches and the fruit clearly makes this point, that whoever abides in Christ is called to go and tell. We are called to go and tell who Jesus is. We are, we are called to go and bear fruit that lasts. We are not to be our little chosen Christians in our little circles and stay in that little circle and not go out in that circle. We're not called to do that. We're called to go and tell. And can I get a witness here? I've said this, I mentioned it kind of earlier. Once you understand what Jesus has done for you, you can't help but want to go tell the others about Jesus. If you've got a true understanding of what Christ has done, 
you got to tell other people. You can't keep it inside. Man, I ran off so many of my friends when I got saved. Telling them all about Jesus. I don't understand how anyone who abides in Christ can keep from telling anyone about Jesus. The truth is God in his omniscience has made a plan. And that plan calls for the ones he has chosen to go and tell. We are to do what God has called us to do. We are to be obedient to the word and we are to let God be God. No matter where you come down on free will in an election. Now, here's what I will do for you today. I'm going to settle this debate on free will and election once and for all. Just kidding. <laughs> Not going to happen. I can't do that. But through the word, I'm going to give us something to think about. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe this will help us. The word teaches both free will and election. And Acts 13, verse 44 is a perfect place to see this. You can write that verse in your margins. <laughs> the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, listen, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. So in this text, Paul taught free will and election. Verse 46 again, listen to this. Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it aside, what did the Jews do with the word of God? They rejected it. They threw it away. Their own free will, they thrust it aside. What else did they do of their own free will? Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life because we are turning to the Gentiles. And behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. They have given themselves up to judgment. It says that they judged themselves. Why? Because they rejected the gift of eternal life. Of their own free will, they rejected God. They rejected the word and they rejected eternal life. They threw it away. Now, look at the elect, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed? The appointed ones, the chosen ones, the ones who were set apart. This is consistent throughout the word of God. It is man who rejects salvation time after time. It is man who chooses to reject Jesus. But when it comes to the ones who are saved, when it comes to salvation, it is all of God's doing because God, yes, does the saving. So what do we, what do, we do with this? As we look at this, what does that mean to us? All right, here's, here's what I say. Here's what man is to do with this. Each person must look into his own heart and answer this question. Am I one of God's chosen? Am I one of the elect? 
If you say no, then you are like the Jews who threw the word of God away and who is judging yourself unworthy of eternal life. You are rejecting God. You are doing that. And if you're here today judging yourself, then I'm begging you. I'm begging you to stop it and let God do the judging. God is the perfect judge. And guess what? He has judged everyone. And no one is worthy of salvation. We are all guilty of sin. We are all enemies of God deserving death. But the difference between God's judgment and man's judgment is this. Man does not have an answer to the problem. God is offering a way out of spending eternity in judgment. Jesus has provided a way out. He loved you so much that he was willing to lay down his life for you. He died a death, the death you deserved. He took your place. And if you put your trust in him, trust that he has paid the debt for your sin that you owe God, then you can honestly answer the question. The question, are you one of God's elect? And you can say, yes, I am. I am. He chose me. He chose me. I didn't choose him. I'm one of the elect. So everyone has to look in their heart. And they have to know that they know that Jesus has saved their soul from eternal damnation. Nothing we have done. We are all saved by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what fallen man has to do with this is let God be God. And stop trying to be God and judging yourself as unworthy of eternal life with him. So I pray, and I pray as I prepare this sermon, that anyone who, who hears this message today, would make today the day of salvation. Search your hearts. Only you know if you're one of the elect. Only you know that. Because everyone needs to be a friend of Jesus. Back to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus repeats another theme in his teaching here. We covered how to pray and what to pray for and what prayers would be answered a couple sermons ago. You could go back online and listen to those. I suggest you do that. But if you remember in verse seven, Jesus said this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And he says something, he says similar here, but he says something a little different here in verse 16. So whatever you ask the father, in my name, he may give it to you. Again, we see Jesus bringing the connectivity here between the vine and the branches, between the believer and him. So the same principles about prayer that we learned back in set, uh, verse seven are still in place. But here he says this, he says, in my name, whatever you ask the father in my name. This is why everyone prays, you know, they pray and then at the end, in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. That's why we all do that. Now, again, does this mean that whatever we pray in the name of Jesus, God will answer? No, it's not what he's saying here. Context, context, context. The disciples have been chosen to go on mission. They've been chosen to love and bear fruit that will last. So Jesus wanted them to know this that his father would answer their request, that God the Father will give them whatever they need in order to accomplish that mission, in order to accomplish that mission. 
Praying in Jesus' name does not mean that God has given us carte blanche regarding prayer like many false teachers like to proclaim. It's not, that's not what's going on here. Think about this. You know, my mind works a little different. I'm always thinking about what other people are thinking there. When Jesus said this, when Jesus said to 11 disciples, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Do you believe or think for one moment that any one of those disciples immediately started thinking about a new house? I don't think so. Or that God would fill their bank account. Do you hear what he said? I'm going to be rich and famous. All I got to do is say it in his name. That's not how it works. And no one should preach it that way. No one there on that day thought that way about prayer and answers to prayer. They knew what was going on. They were being sent on a mission and they needed to be equipped. This text is giving assurance to any disciple that God will give us what we need to fulfill the mission he has set before us. We ask for it in the name of Jesus because we know, as we learned earlier, we could do nothing without him. Nothing without him. Amen? Moving on, Jesus continues his training. God will give us what we need, and he also wants us to be prepared when we go on missions. He doesn't want us to be surprised by some of this stuff. Now, I, I, you know what? I am going to make a point here before we move on. I want to make sure everyone understands where the mission field is. You know, the, the church likes to separate it, you know. You hear people, hey, pray for me. I'm going on mission. I'm going on mission. Well, then we should pray for you every day. You see, we don't go on missions. We are on mission. You see, when we wake up in the morning and our feet hit the floor or your knees are back, depending on how old you are, getting out of the bed. But whatever hits the floor, it is, that's, you're in the mission field. We're on mission. You know, we try to minimize these things, you know, like oh, the home's not a mission field. Yeah, it is. It's just as important as going overseas. We are on missions at our mission at all times. Don't don't separate or you know, oh, that's over here and this is over here, and I can need to act like this on Sunday or act like this at work. No, no. We are the same every day, and we are on mission every day. I just want to make sure everybody knew that. So, but Jesus says to the disciples in first verse 18: if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things that they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him, who sent me. So when a follower of Jesus is sent out on mission, they must understand this truth. The world hates Jesus and they will hate you. Don't be surprised. That fact has been proven for over 2000 years now. There's a whole lot of hate out there. And that's why 
God has called us to be separate from that. We're called to love. We're not to be of the world and it's hate. If you are a friend of Jesus, the world will hate you. You know, this is another text that can really be used for self-examination. You see, there's no middle ground here. You have to be on one side or the other. You are either a friend of Jesus or you're a friend of the world. So when you look at yourself, you need to ask, does the world hate me? Good self-examination. Or does the world love you because you are an enemy of God? Write James 4, 4 in your, in your margins here. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we got to ask, though, what is, this, what is this world that the word speaks of? Well, there's several meanings when it comes to using the word world here in the scriptures. We have the physical world. We have the human world. We have the moral world. We have the temporal world and the coming world. All are mentioned in the scriptures. But the world that John is speaking of here is the system of organized society, organized society. And this society is hostile to God. This organized society is under Satan's power. And that's why the world hates Jesus. If you remember, Jesus said back in chapter 14, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. I love what Jesus said. He has no claim on me. This society may be ruled by Satan, but he doesn't rule Jesus nor his people. Know that. That, that right there just took me right to 1 John 4. Write that verse in your margins. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. They have gone out into the society. By this, you know, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Another great test to know if you are of God. Do you confess that Jesus has come in the flesh? You know what? This is a great way to test your friends, a great way to see if the people you're associated with are of God or if they're of the world. Do they, do they uh, confess Jesus? It's an easy test. You see, God has prepared his people. And then he gives them this encouragement. He said, look, this is going to happen. And I want you to know it's going to happen so that you will believe. And then he gives this encouragement. He said, there's evil spirits out there. And how can you tell? He says, well, you, 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 you could tell by whether they confess me or not. And then he says this to him. And he's actually telling him, look, I'm giving you encouragement and assurance that you could do all that I have called you to do. Listen to verse four, John, first John four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Know who you are in Jesus and know that he is the one that is greater than the one who is in this world. He is in you. He is in you. Don't fear. Don't fear. 365 times, don't fear. God is with us. And because he is in us, we can overcome the world. We are different. We speak a different language than the world does. We proclaim the words of God. So Jesus telling his disciples, listen, you do that. Don't be surprised by the hatred. Be prepared. First Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Jesus, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Don't be surprised. Rejoice when the world hates you. When the world hates you, it just confirms who you are in Christ. That means your light is shining. And you've heard me say this before. I'm not surprised at the, the hatred towards us or towards you know Christ, but I'm just surprised for the reason that they hate Jesus. You know, he comes to save everyone from their sin and from the punishment of their sin. And people hate him for that. They don't like that. He comes with a message of love. I will lay down my life for you that you may have eternal life. And the world says, I don't need your love. I hate you. Go away. That's surprising to me. And I always ask, you know, I'm sharing the gospel and you see that coming. I just ask him, what did Jesus do wrong? What did he do that warrants all this hatred? You have no charge against him. He's a sinless man. He came to seek and save. So why, the, why all the hostility towards him? Well, Jesus gives his disciples the answer to that question in verse 22 here in our text today. Why all the hatred towards Jesus? Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause, without a cause. There it is. The world hates Jesus. Why? Because Jesus exposed the sin of man. That's why. He exposed the sins of the world. Jesus is light to the darkness. And that's, you know, been John's theme through this whole gospel. And it begins in chapter three. We, we all know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
Is that not a beautiful message of love? Is it not? Does that not give hope in a fallen world? It does. Why would anyone hate Jesus for offering salvation and hope and love? Well, if you continue in John 3, verse 18, I'll show you. He says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. Here you go. Here's the judgment. This affirms what Jesus is saying in our text today when he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sins. Now listen to John 319. And this is the judgment. This is where the hate comes from. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Listen, it's not that the world hates Jesus and his disciples because they are sinners or that they have done anything wrong. No, that's not the reason for the hatred. The world doesn't have a problem with sin. So they're not going to hate you because of your sin. Their problem is being confronted with their sin or that their sin is brought to light. They love the darkness and they don't mind sinning. But if you put light on that sin, they will hate that light bearer, you see. And if you're going out and being a light into the world, you are a light bearer and they will hate you. And that's why the world hates Jesus. And that's why the world will hate anyone who is a friend of Jesus. Pastor Ryan brings this up, has brought this up many times. He said, you can talk about God with anyone, not a problem. You can sit there and talk about all oh, God, 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 God. But the moment you bring up the name of Jesus and that he is God, they will turn on you in a minute. It changes the conversation. They will treat you different. They will hate you. And guess what? They will end up telling you this. You can't be friends anymore. Confirmation. You light shining. You're not a friend of this world. You're a friend of Jesus. Jesus continues equipping, preparing, and assuring his disciples that they can do what God has set them apart to do. Look at verse 26. But when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away, that, you, that they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, that when their hour comes, you may remember what I told them to you, what I told them to you. Now we know. Now we know the reason Jesus taught all of these truths in chapter 15. He says here, I have said all things to keep you from falling away. 
I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So I challenge you guys. Read chapter 15. Every day for two weeks. It's a short, short chapter. Just read it and think about all that we have learned, all that God has equipped us to do to keep carrying on the mission. That's preparing ourselves to do what God has called us to do. We are on mission every day. It's not easy, but we can fulfill the mission because greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. Now go and show the world who you are in Christ and do that by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor. Prove to the world who you are by loving one another, Jesus says. So let's keep the main thing the main thing and show this world some love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor Ed?